0: Hey, all my lady friends. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in yet again for what is going to be an amazing episode. I can already tell you that. I'll give you guys the hint. This one is a good one. It is for every woman of every age to listen to on repeat, maybe listen to it once, and then give yourself a week and listen to it again because it's that good, and I don't want to take up too much time because I want to get right into the interview with Jackie. But before I do that, just some quick reminders, if you would like to submit a question for the show or a podcast topic or idea or interview, whatever you want that's related to the show, Make sure to email info at keto 4 If you would like to speak with me about testing, becoming a one-on-one client, all of that information is on my website at seanminor.com. You can head over there, go to Work With Sean, find out how it actually works to work with me. And if you're interested, I do free 15-minute consultations. If you'd like to learn more about pricing and what you specifically need, you can head over there and make yourself an appointment and we can chat about uh, working together Um, This would be something that would be right for someone that wants to find out more information about their bodies, do some real digging and functional lab testing. I only work with one-on-one clients who do that lab testing. It's kind of the practice that I have created for that purpose. If you would like help with keto then you just really need to join the Fat-Burning Female Project. That's all things keto. We're in week one right now with the current group and it is going so well. I just love them already. And it's just the support that you get from others and myself within this whole project, you just can't find that anywhere else. And I'm so happy to have such an amazing group of women doing the course and even past groups in the course that are helping others go through it now, it's just such an amazing thing to see, women all coming together, it's a great thing, right? So that You can find information for that on my website too at seanminer.com, and make sure you're signed up to get the notifications for when that September course opens. It's going to come really quick, you guys, and I get questions about what you should be doing in the meantime if you do want to be part of that course. I really think if you can just focus on eating a real food diet right now, perhaps doing a Whole30, and if you don't know what that is, you can just Google Whole30 and you will find that out very quickly what that means, but I think that would be a really good – way to kind of get your body primed for then moving into a real food keto diet, which is what we promote in the Fat-Burning Female Project. So uh, you can head over there and check all that out. Make sure you're getting the notifications. If you would like to connect with me on social media, my Instagram is Sean Health, And you can also, I've been getting some requests on Facebook, and I don't really use my personal Facebook account, so I am don't. Even bother, there's really nothing to see there except when I was partying in 2010. But if you'd like to follow me on Facebook, you can just search Sean Minor Health and my business page will come up. So you can follow that along and I'll show you what I'm eating and all these good recipes and things like that, which is really fun. So that's Sean Minor Health on Facebook too. I will link to both of those in the show notes so that you can access that. I also get a lot of questions about the testing that I talked about last week for ketones. I will consistently link to those two devices in the show notes as well. So the Ketonic's breath meter, if you want to do that, I will link to that. And then also the Precision Extra blood ketone meter and test strips. I will link to that until Jimmy Moore's comes out and I can take a peek at that and and compare for you guys. So uh, I think that one's on back order. So if you want to get started on testing quicker than that, which I recommend if you're trying to do keto right now, then the precision extra is going to be the one that you want. Okay, let's move on to the topic of the day, which is basically just going to be women and keto, which is appropriate for the name of the show. But what happened is when I started this podcast, within the first week of it airing, I got so many requests to talk about keto and menopause because I was talking a lot about cycling and how it can affect our hormones in that way, and it brought up the conversation of menopause, which I think is also really, really important, and since I'm not someone that has been through menopause, I thought it would be great to bring on someone that has and did so while being in ketosis and it was able to help other women do that as well and just the most knowledgeable person. Person on the topic, which is Jackie Eberstein. Jackie began her low-carb, high-fat journey in 1974 and actually worked with Dr. Atkins. She was the director of medical ed- education at the Atkins Center for a really long time. She is a registered nurse as well, so she has that background to be able to work with the medical staff and complementary medicine. She also has been has contributed to a number of Dr. Atkins' books and newsletters. She has contributed to Diabetes Health Magazine regularly, and she just has all the knowledge that we need to really understand our bodies as we age. I mean, I'm not talking 40s, 50s, 60s. I'm talking from your 20s, things that you can do to help yourself as you age and as a woman. And so I'm really excited for you to hear from Jackie. The one thing I will say is you have a duty here after this episode. It is vitally important that you share this with your female friends, whether they want to do keto, know about keto or not, and no matter what age they are, because we can really help ourselves now, no matter what age you are. Right now, you can start helping yourself to make your aging process a lot easier, a lot healthier, and you can dodge a lot of these illnesses that we're currently facing in our aging population, or it's getting younger and younger, really, You can dodge all of that if you start thinking about it now and if your loved ones and your friends and your family, all of these ladies in your life, they need to do the same thing. So this is a really important segment of the show. I want you to tell them to listen to episode seven, which is this one right here with Jackie and then go back and listen to episodes one, two, and three because that's really where I primed this whole topic of what is ketosis, why is it different for women, what mistakes do women make, and why our hormones are affected. And Jackie goes into that too and we have a lot pretty much mirroring ideas and reasonings. And so this is a really, really important topic to talk about multiple times. So get on that. Talk to your mom. Talk to your aunts. Talk to your sisters, your friends. Get them all on board and just have them listen to this. It's a really important message. Okay. Enough of that. Let's get on to our chat with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Thank you so much for coming on the Keto for Women show. Happy to have you here.
1: Well, thank you very much for asking me. It's nice to meet you and uh, in a few days meeting everybody out there who's listening.
0: Yes. It's going to be a great talk just by us chatting a little bit before the recording started. I'm already fascinated by you. So this is going to be amazing. But just so everyone else can can meet you and hear what you uh, do and what you've gone through and your whole transition, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this low-carb world.
1: Well, uh, I kind of backed into it. Uh, I'm a registered nurse, um, and I hated nutrition, mm-hmm. um, and I started my career uh, as an intensive care and recovery room nurse. And I moved to New York City and wanted 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, so I was looking for a job. And the, um, agency I went to back then, you went to agencies to get a job. You don't go on in the internet. There wasn't any internet. So in 1974, I was sent uh, by the agency and I didn't want to go to see Dr. Robert Atkins. Dr. Atkins' book had been out for about a year and a half. I certainly had heard of him, didn't much approve of what he did or agree with it. And, um, I went for the interview and I wound up, uh, taking the job, although I really didn't want it. And I remember going home and telling my husband I took this job, and and I don't know why I did. So if you don't like it, you can quit. Well, that was in 1974, and I was with Bob until he died in 2003. And as it turned out, he was the only one who could solve a medical problem that I was having. I was in my mid-20s. I was thin. Um, I had a terrible diet. I was born a carbohydrate addict. Uh, so, I lived on a lot of carbs, and at that point, I was also living on caffeine and cigarettes. Um, and I'd been on and off diets so that I would not allow my weight to get out of control because I had a family history of morbid obesity on one side of my family and diabetes on the other. So, as a nurse, I knew if I really let my weight get out of control, then I was really heading for trouble. So. You know, I gain eight or 10 pounds and then I get my act together and lose it and then go back gradually to my old habits. And I had these symptoms. Many of them were cardiac. I would wake up in the middle of the night with crushing chest pain. My heart would be skipping beats. Um, I would have palpitations. During the day, my hands would shake. Uh, My concentration was terrible. I would get irritable. I couldn't think straight. Um, I would get sweaty palms. My heart rate would increase and this would come and go to the point where they had ruled out a tumor the adrenals they ruled out hyperthyroidism and after that they didn't know what else to do so they simply put me on cardiac drugs to stop the symptoms and I Dr. Atkins one morning saw me having difficulty my hands would shake to the point where I could not draw blood and he asked me what was wrong and I told him the story and he kind of looked at me this was about three months after I started working with him and he looked at me he said well you have reactive hypoglycemia, your blood sugar is dropped, you're going to have a glucose tolerance test. And I did. And to this day, it's still one of the worst blood sugar uh, tests responses I've seen. And I've seen 1000s. My second hour blood sugar went to 250, which is a diabetic range. And my third hour dropped to well below um, 38. Wow, and I fainted. Um, but I knew I finally found out what was wrong with me. And it was simply what I was eating. And I was prone to it because, first of all, um, you know the nicotine and caffeine is not good for your blood sugar. And I also was born with with insulin resistance tendency because of the diabetes and the obesity. So he's the only one who found out what was wrong with me, and and I started low carb then. And I've lived on various levels of, Uh, the Atkins program, since 1974. And it worked really well for me. I rarely get symptoms, and I've managed my weight. And then um, I reached my mid-40s, and things changed. As I started to get perimenopausal symptoms, um, I was no longer able to maintain my weight on a higher carb intake. I had to cut down to 20 grams total carbs, and I was still putting on weight. I lost my ketones. Um, we had in our office, we had ketone analyzers where we could um, measure breathalyzer and they were big machines though and they're not like today. They were big machines hooked up to hydrogen and nitrogen tanks and they were uh, basically a real pain to deal with. But that was the only technology we had to measure breath ketones. So I knew what my ketones were. Um, I knew what they were in the breath, I knew what they were in the urine. and I I simply never could get ketones anymore. So I knew my body was significantly changing and there were some things, aside from a lot of symptoms, there were some things I wasn't really able to control. And so that began my uh, long journey um, into trying to uh, get my weight back to where it should be. Um, and I'm happy to say that I have reached my nursing school weight, but my maintenance diet for the rest of my life will be twenty to thirty grams of total carbs, but i don 't have diabetes i 'm not morbidly obese and uh, so Dr. Atkins saved my life and and i'm just if i hadn't found out all of that when I did and invested in preventive medicine when I was in my twenties, which is the best that we could do for ourselves. Um, I had gone on, I would have gone on just doing what I was doing, gaining and losing and gaining and losing and most likely gaining more, not being able to lose it all, which is a pattern many women have. And I don't know at what stage I would have absolutely been diabetic and probably obese. So um, that's where low carb has really saved my life. And menopause was bumpy.
0: Yes, yes, which we're going to talk about because I know we have lots of women Wanting to know that information, who are already in menopause or kind of going through it right now, or maybe even peri- perimenopausal, that want to get the best out of being on a low carb, high fat diet, and maybe you know not have so much bumpiness in in their changes. <laughs> but let's go back because I want to. Uh, Kind of pick your brain about these changes that happen as females with our hormones that make it a little bit harder as we kind of go through these decades of changes. So what's happening in our bodies to make it a problem?
1: Well, one of the things I think we need to understand and go back even further than that is that when there are significant hormone changes, um, there can be an increase in insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is the first stage of what can ultimately become type 2 diabetes. And insulin resistance is a sign already of carbohydrate intolerance. And the women, women go through a number of stages throughout their lives. First of all, the biggest hormone change that women go through is puberty and menarchy when they get their first periods. And so that's when a lot of, that's when I noticed things change significant for me. And in, I found that in, Oh, so many women that I have taken, I don't know, probably thousands of of dietary histories um, in the years I worked with Dr. Atkins. And that was part of when did you first start having difficulty with your weight? And many women would say, I was 11, 12, 13. That's about the time you're starting to go through puberty. And now, unfortunately, little girls are going through much younger, which is not a good thing. But, um, and if you have a family history of uh, type 2 diabetes, you're already genetically prone to insulin resistance. So that can start getting worse at that stage in your life. The second stage is when you go through your monthly menstrual cycle. You have a significant change of the ratio in the first part of your cycle, which is from the first day you start to flow till ovulation, when you become more and more estrogen dominant so that you can ovulate. But as soon as that happens estrogen drops and progesterone starts to go up. Now, this is a simplistic explanation. It is a bit more complicated. but um, And then you start becoming more progesterone dominant to prepare for pregnancy. And then when that doesn't happen, everything switches. But those hormone changes of one ratio of estrogen to progesterone is enough to increase insulin resistance again. And I think some of that plays a role in why women have – such PMS and can have difficult periods. You know, the the average period in the United States in a healthy woman should be about three days, and there should be minimal PMS and no excessive clots and bleeding. Yet, most American women's periods aren't like that. Part of it is also because if you're eating incorrectly, if your liver is stressed because you're heavy, your liver can't. Your liver's in charge of keeping your balance of these hormones and part of what we see in PMS and what we see clearing up over the first couple months with very low carb is that because your liver is healthier, you're going to have a more stable ratio of your hormones. So that's why a lot of PMS can go away after the second or third um, month of being on low carb. Although the first month you could be worse, depending upon when you started low carb, so um, that that's a cycle women are going to go through through their whole reproductive years. The the next biggest time is when women become perimenopausal, and this is generally in the early 40s. For me, it was around 44, 45, um, when you start getting other changes, which can vary even from month to month, and that's what can make this more difficult to deal with, and that perimenopause can go on for a number of years. Um, You may ovulate sometimes, you may not, um, and that's gonna affect the balance of the hormones, and that's gonna affect your insulin resistance. It can affect your hunger, your cravings. It can affect your ability to either store fat or access your fat stores. Your thyroid may begin to start not functioning as well. And then the average age for cessation of the period in, in the United States for a woman is 51 years old. And she's considered postmenopausal when she hasn't had a period for a year. But that doesn't mean your body is settled down. What can happen after that may take a period of time to readjust and finally settle down. That's going to vary. Uh, There's a genetic component to that. There's a huge stress component to all of these hormone changes. And as I've looked back at the changes I've had and wondered why, um, for me, the biggest thing that I've always had in my life is stress. And and stress certainly is going to affect this whole process, which is why I think I had as difficult a time as I had. Um, So those are the most important times. Oh, I forgot a big, oh, sorry, I forgot one of the biggest ones. That's pregnancy. (laughs) Right. Um, And that's a whole other story that we can talk about. But that's a huge change in, in our hormone status. And a lot of times women don't give themselves time to recover from that and to get their weight off and they gain too much before they have another baby. And that's a typical history I used to see in women. I would have women come to me when they were 44, 45, they've been trying to diet, the weight's not coming off the way it used to, and and it won't for most of us, um, because our bodies are changing. But they'd sit there and literally start to cry as I went through their history of their pregnancy history, and what, you know what was your weight when you went to the ba- went to the hospital to deliver your last baby, and many of these women would start to cry and say, "I'm heavier now than when I did that," and um, you know that that's really a shame that we 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 don't know that we have to address it sooner, mm-hmm. um, and we do, and that's why. No matter your age, if anyone listening, if you have a daughter, if you have nieces, if you have granddaughters, um, the time to really invest in, in making this progression to later in life easier is early in life, um, and that's the best that we can, we can do. But we certainly can have success later, um, but you just have to change what your goals are and change your expectations. Your body isn't 25 anymore.
0: Which is important because then we're talking to pretty much every woman listening right now because right now is the time to to change what you're doing to help with these changes that are inevitably going to happen as you progress in your years. It's just bound to happen and it's all about these hormones. And so I just want to kind of go back so you were talking about in the actual menstrual cycle there is this period of estrogen dominance and then there's a period of progesterone dominance as right. we move through the cycle and so there's always this and I've talked about this in past episodes there's this very fine balance yes that are, it is that those two hormones do every single yes. month and they change every single day of our cycle and pretty so you're saying pretty much at any time if those are even slightly out of balance, then you could potentially have the tendency towards insulin resistance, even if you're eating this quote unquote healthy diet. But if it's yeah. more And one of the
1: things well, yes, and one of the things I used to see, and I believe, although I have no scientific evidence to that, knowing that your hormones are changing and just before your period, as your progesterone is, gonna, is dropping and you're starting to gear up to make more estrogen and, and you start to, to actually slough off the lining of your uterus, is that um, when I used to check my ketones premenstrually, they suddenly would disappear and I would get hungrier, and I'd get a little heavier, and I got more water retention and all those things. And my, my ketones wouldn't come back until about the second or third day of my flow, mm-hmm. and the symptoms would be disappearing. So I knew I had insulin resistance, and knowing that hormone changes will increase insulin resistance, I, I make the, the connection at least in my mind, that the reason why ketones disappear is because your insulin resistance is worse. Mm -hmm. And I I used to tell that to my female patients who wanted to check urinary ketones, just don't do it right before your period. Wait until a few days go by. Or if you do do it and they've disappeared, don't get yourself all upset. It doesn't mean the plan isn't working. This is just a normal monthly progression. And I had them report back to me and they had the same experience.
0: That's so fascinating, actually. I knew that there was some correlation, but I didn't know because it's pretty obvious as women go through and they're testing ketones every day, they don't change really anything and yet their ketones are varying in and out of ketosis.
1: Um, Yeah, and of course, it depends upon which way you're measuring ketones mm -hmm. because- it's different if it's your blood or your breath or your urine, um, <clears throat> but whatever method you're doing, it may vary mm-hmm. because of the hormone changes. And see, that's the important point: is that what you want to do is not only keep your pancreas healthy by not having high insulin and unstable blood sugar and all of that, but you want to keep your liver healthy because it's your and your liver is going to be affected by your state of nutrition, and it's your liver. Um, that actually has to conjugate these hormones into putting these things where they belong. Um, and it is, it's very complex. And I actually have a few slides when I do my hormone, pre- my official hormone presentation on this in- issue. And you can see how complicated it is. And if you start to think about it, you can see all these different places where it can go wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the biggest thing you can do is have a healthy lifestyle and, and normalize your weight.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that you would agree that being in a ketogenic, low-carb, high-fat state is even more beneficial and helpful for getting that liver um, nice and supported.
1: Well, absolutely. Um, You know, there's so many benefits. Ketones have had such a, a bad rap. Um, especially in the medical profession, because they don't understand the difference between ketoacidosis and nutritional ketosis. But we're beginning to find out that nutritional ketosis has so many benefits to the point where I'm I'm the director of protocol at the HEAL clinics. And in our protocol, we start people at 20 grams total, which is what Dr. Atkins did. And most people, even once they reach their goal, we, we feel there's benefits for them to, be, to remain ketogenic. Not everybody has to stay at 20 grams, but you certainly want to stay, for most people, at around 50 grams. Um, and certainly for me, I do 20 and 30 because if I don't, I start gaining. Um, my metabolism is now such that I can't have more. Um, and I'm not willing to have obesity. I'm not willing to get diabetes, but um, so ketones have such a benefit. It's a cleaner burning fuel. it's very good fuel for the brain, and there is research that shows that. so uh, that's why low carb ketogenic is is important, and it's closer to what our ancestors used to e- used to eat. You know we weren't eating Cheerios and apple juice and pancakes and right. all this other garbage you find in all the center aisles of the grocery store. If we, we would not have survived as a species if we didn't have the ability to utilize ketones for fuel.
0: Yes, agreed. And I'm all about what? just teaching the ketogenic diet, not just as a diet, but more so as this lifestyle that you're talking about, because of this amazing healing power of ketones, you know, if we're constantly having that them flowing through our body, then we have a lot of potential to heal our bodies in so many ways. And in ways we didn't even know, like, for instance, with the liver, we may not even know that our liver needs some support (laughs) and love, but um, we can get there and, and it can heal itself. And you did bring up stress and how important that is to everything that you went through and, and we see as women and with these hormonal changes that we're going through, um, stress is, hugely important. And I think that ketone production is a way to mitigate some of that stress that our bodies go through, um, simply because we're again, like providing that homeostasis, that clean burning fuel, and your body kind of knows it's it's safe in a way and and not to mention, you know, helping out your blood sugar and healing that too. So um, yeah, Yeah, see,
1: that's the important thing to protect your adrenals, Mm -hmm. because your adrenals are supposed to take over and produce enough estrogen after your ovary don't and for many women it they do and they go through a much easier menopause there are those of us who and again for me i believe it's chronic stress that um that's why i had symptoms but if you have an unstable blood sugar you're calling on your adrenals several times a day every day for days and weeks and months and years to try to keep keep your blood sugar back up after it's dropped too low Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing right um and and that's going to affect your liver. But the other important thing about ketones is they have an anti-inflammatory effect. And many people who go on a ketogenic diet find out that a lot of their inflammatory syst- symptoms are, are getting better. And most chronic illness, including cancers, Alzheimer's, almost every chronic illness has an inflammatory component. So cutting carbs enough and keeping your blood sugar stable... When your blood sugar is high, you get inflammation. So all of that plays a role in anti-inflammatory processes in the body.
0: Absolutely. It's so great to hear you say all of this. It's so awesome. And I talk about cortisol and the adrenals all the time and how that impacts um, our hormones down the road and how we really just need to get control of that. And blood sugar is one of the best ways that we can do so by getting control of our blood sugar. But I love that you brought up how that takes over. So your adrenal glands take over producing estrogen once you are no longer doing so, um, you know, in this in this menopausal state. So can we expand on that? Because I think that's actually a topic that most people don't know.
1: Well, there your as your systems begin to start to um, stop working, you know, your ovaries are your ovaries aren't going to be producing the estrogen or the progesterone or even the testosterone they used to produce. Testosterone's another issue we should talk about for women because that gets overlooked, um, and that's an important part, particularly postmenopausally. But um, your adrenal glands are supposed to be able to continue to make enough estrogen, and it's a weaker form of estrogen than the estrogen that your body made when you were uh, had reproductive abilities. There's estrone, estriol, estradiol. And um, it's the estriol that the ovary is supposed to continue to be able to make from a precursor hormone called DHEA. And if that's dropped, and in many people, it drops as we age. It actually starts normally dropping when we're in our late 20s, early 30s. So if you don't even have enough building block of hormone, not, your adrenals aren't going to be able to do that. And that brings up a very important point. The first chemical the body uses to make a whole range of chemicals in the body, including cortisone and adrenaline, and testosterone, and progesterone, and estrogen, and a lot of the precursor hormones, is cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So stop and think about if you're put on a statin drug, that yes, it'll lower your LDL cholesterol, but how do we know long-term the impact that a very low cholesterol is going to have when your body needs that extra, extra cholesterol as you start getting hormone changes? Um, and now they're putting little kids before puberty on statins. Yeah. There's no research to tell you what a very low cholesterol is going to do when they have to start getting hormone changes. Mm-hmm. So that's the scary part from the standpoint of always worrying about your total cholesterol because that's a building block. We need it for a lot of things, but we we need it to make hormones. Um, so there's some real issues there, and that may be another concern if your cholesterols are too low, and you don't have enough building block,
0: right, so important for women in general, and definitely aging women as we age, it's important to keep that in a really nice state so that we have those building blocks.
1: Well, interestingly enough, one of the things that happens in many women as they start to get perihormonal change, perimenopausal hormonal changes, and I saw it in me, and I see a lot of my other patients, I, I knew what my total cholesterol and LDL were for decades, because um, I have all those records from 1974. Oh. I knew what my diet was, I knew what my exercise was, and from one year when I had normal periods to the next year when I started to get symptoms, uh, a, a hormonal change, my cholesterol went up from 160 to about 270. My diet was the same, my exercise was the same, nothing was different except my hormones, And I realized in all likelihood, that was because my body sensed that my hormone levels were dropping below where they had been for decades. And the body was trying to fix it. Ah. And to fix it, we're making more of the building block, Mm -hmm. the first building block of your hormones.
0: Yes, yes. So my cholesterol went up. Yep.
1: Um, And also, interestingly enough, there is some research that shows that as women age and older women Elderly, and by definition in medical research, I'm an elderly woman. Although woman, although I don't feel like it um, <laughs> at all. But um, you're going to live longer if your cholesterol's higher. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, you know this idea that high cholesterol is a disease. It's actually, if your cholesterol's going up, it's more of a symptom of your body needing something.
0: Right, and, it, and it, does, it changes, our bodies change it regardless of what we're eating. That's what I think well, is really important.
1: Yeah, and even cholesterol changes during your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. I found an interesting article that how they did cholesterols on women as they went through their whole cycle and found that at certain stages in your cycle, your cholesterol is higher. And what it, opt- it, what it could do is take you from what's considered a normal healthy range slightly into the range of, oh, you better take a statin. Well, if you do that every month, I mean, you certainly don't want to be medicating yourself with a statin.
0: Right. It's really so sad. Uh, So getting back to these hormones that we have in menopause, I think one of the big misconceptions is that when menopause happens – Women just assume that their their hormones just kind of flatline, and that's not the case. And as you're saying, we still produce these hormones, and it's still important to keep them in this balance. Correct?
1: It is, and I think, and that's one of the reasons why there are some women who have no difficulty. And I don't mean to. I'm not talking to the women out there with with what I've been discussing. That this is every woman. It is not. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've seen many women who just, you know, I tell them, well, th- tell me when you started going through menopause. And I mean, they couldn't answer that. They never had real symptoms, their sleep was fine, they never had hot flashes, they didn't really have difficulty with their weight, they felt fine. At some stage, their period simply stopped and they went on with their lives. Um, Those are women that their bodies were maintain, were able to maintain adequate hormone levels from the building blocks that we have, DHEA, androstenedione, and and the other, pregnenolone. These are building blocks of our hormones. Um, for many of us, however, and I think one big key is chronic stress. Yes. And remember, dietary stress is stress. Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about, I'll you know, one. your work stress or your job stress or your money stress. And yet all of those different kinds of stressors react the same at a biochemical level in your body. So all of the things that you can fix that you have control over, um, are going to make your body hopefully better able to cope for the things that you can't necessarily control. Um, So that's why we used to look at DHEA levels and various other things um, to help people try to maintain normal levels. And there are times then when women need to be um, treated if their symptoms really decrease their quality of life. Um, The real question is, is how to treat them, and I have an opinion about that. Um, because I don't happen to believe that the synthetic hormones, the premarin and progesterone, uh, synthetic progesterones are the best choice. We saw women get, get in trouble metabolically for years when their doctors would simply, because their period stopped, to tell them you had to take these hormones and, but, and you don't.
0: Can we talk about this? Because I have a feeling we're going to be on the same page here and I would love to get your opinion here.
1: Well, I I never wanted to do um, any kind of hormonal therapy, and I'd hoped that when I went through menopause, my symptoms would be manageable, and I'd hoped they'd be manageable with some more of the herbal treatments and things like that. Unfortunately, um, I wasn't someone who had a gradual menopause where my periods just started getting less and less frequent. I just simply had periods that changed. Um, One of the things to know is when you're perimenopausal, your, your menstrual cycle generally gets closer together rather than if it was every 28 days, I went to every 23 days, mm-hmm. which I thought, well, who needs that? But um, that's part of the cycle. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I thought I was going to get rid of this. But so for several years, it was closer together. Um, but I, I did have symptoms with the hot flashes and the sleep were my two biggest uh, initial symptoms of perimenopause. Um, and it got to the point where it was difficult. And I tried a lot of the herbal methods and and they helped somewhat. And a lot of the supplements I would try and see if it helped. Um, And finally, at the age of 51, instead of my period, you know, going from maybe once a month and starting to skip, the way many women do, and if you do it that way, it's possible that you may not be as symptomatic. But I simply had a period every month until, I had one period and I never had another, and and that's when my symptoms really increased and my my blood levels of my hormones all were very low, um, and so I I tried to again do more work with the hormone with the nat, more natural methods which for me didn't work very well for a lot of people they they can, um, and I finally had to get on the bioidentical hormones which I had decided I would do if I ever had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is what I wound up doing. And I now just use two hormonal creams. And that pretty much is taking care of, you know, the little symptoms I get are nothing compared to the way they used to be. But again, I was also in a very stressful job situation. Right. I had a lot of responsibility. I worked long hours. And I'm convinced that that was probably a part of it. Um, why I had such a difficult time so if you if you need help get help Um, but if you're going through a fairly smooth course whatever mild symptoms you have don't affect your quality of life there's no reason to to have to do anything that's telling you that your body is able to cope as you're going through this particular change so why why interfere with it if it isn't needed Mm-hmm. and many women will be okay. Some women will have hot flashes for four or five years, and they'll disappear, and they don't need any treatment. Others don't. It can cont- I, I remember a 72-year-old woman I took care of at the Atkins Center, and um, we couldn't get her off her hormones. Her hot flashes were so bad. Wow. And she was 72 years old. Wow. Um, so we wound up getting her more stable, on bioidentical hormones instead of the synthetics because I, we had a real issue with seeing women get into metabolic difficulty with the synthetics. Um,
0: Yeah. So you've seen actual cases where the synthetic hormones are doing more harm than good.
1: Yes, absolutely. And what was sad was many women were placed on them because their doctor said, or you've gone through menopause. This is what you have to take. Even when they were fine, Mm -hmm. they were not symptomatic um, and that's the part, and they would go on them, and especially if they were women who were carrying too much body fat, that within, within months, they gained more weight, their cravings got worse, because a lot of the synthetics can impact your blood sugar and insulin in a negative way. Ah,
0: okay. So that's fine. And
1: that's not what you want. And they would come back, and we were diagnosing them with type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And you know, their doctor said, well, you have to take this. This is going to prevent heart disease which we know is not the case. And the main cause of death in people with type 2 diabetes is heart disease. So now the women were diabetic. So then we needed to deal with that issue. And so, again, you only treat what needs to be treated.
0: Right. Right. Yes, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think bioidentical hormones, when when necessary, can be really beneficial. And you just have to work with someone that can help you find what works best for you as an individual and not just this blanket.
1: Um, yeah, and they, and they very much have to be personalized. Yes. And over time, they may have to be adjusted as your body is going through these changes that can last for 15 years. Right. Yes. Some women start getting some metabolic changes, even though their periods are still normal, in their mid 30s. I've seen that in a lot of women um, when I would take their histories, their dietary histories. That's when they seem to already begin to have more difficulty managing their weight. They weren't losing the way they were before. All the more reason why manage your weight at your earliest opportunity.
0: And so when you say manage your weight, and I know for you it took some experimentation and now you've found in the age range that you're at that 20 grams of carbs works best for you. So is it just about tinkering within the ketogenic diet to find where you do find this manageable weight?
1: Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's, um, first of all, I think that most women... Will do much better if they just get themselves to a ketogenic level. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to do more carbs than that, um, I think at some stage that's going to become problematic, and you're going to need to cut down. Um, but yes, you if you're if you're doing you know 40 grams now, and the carbs you're having are low glycemic load. It's just it's also the quality that's important because you have to make sure that you're keeping. Um, your blood sugar stable, especially after eating, that you're not going too high, and that your insulin levels, if they've been too high, and in many cases, once you have hyper-insulin uh, resistance, you're going to get hyperinsulinism if you're on a, a diet that's too high in carbs, particularly if it's poor quality. What you you have to do is find your level of carbs that are going to keep your blood sugar and your insulin's normal. So that you're not storing more body fat and you have access to your excess body fat so that you can use that fat to help you um, to lose the the weight that you want to lose.
0: Yeah. And so I I think that something is that's a really important topic that happens to quite a few women is when they do go to a ketogenic diet and say they're doing it with their husband, all of a sudden their husband loses all this weight and they're stuck and they can't seem to lose the weight. There's some resistance there. What do you say to those people? Does it have to do with our hormones?
1: Well, it certainly can. It depends upon each individual woman. If she's If she's carrying extra weight, um, she may very well have insulin levels that are too high, and she doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know how high they are or how long it's going to take for them to get better. If, if First of all, men are always going to lose easier than women. Their metabolisms are different. They don't have these constant hormone changes. Um, they have more lean mass than women do normally. Um, so all that is going is to happen. One of the things I tell my women is there are several things don't do is stop comparing how you lose weight once you're in your 40s to how you used to lose weight. Yes. Just forget that. Don't play that head game because it's it's a reason why you're going to give up. Even in Secondly, your
0: 30s compared to your 20s, I can tell you even, that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I found that too in my mid-30s. Mm-hmm. I found that. Um, the thing that allowed me to keep a a bit more liberal high carb, higher carb diet was that I started running when I quit smoking and I started running to stay off the cigarettes. But what I found was I was really able to have a more liberal diet, but what exercise already also did was decrease my insulin resistance. Right. That's an important reason to exercise if you're not. Um, it doesn't—it doesn't that it's calories in, calories out, kind of computation that it helps you lose weight. But if you have insulin resistance over time, it's an important piece of your weight management. But um, the other thing is, never compare yourself to how your male friend or partner or brother loses weight. They can—they can eat far more carbs than you do, cheat 50% more of the time, and lose a lot more weight and that's just how it is. <laughs> so it's just how it um, is. <laughs> it is. I used to tell my female patients, you know, I was so frustrated that in my next lifetime I'm not coming back unless I get a different set of hormones. <laughs> I don't want to do this again. But um, you know, don't do that. Yeah. You deal with yourself. And it's the same way with the if you need hormonal assistance, that that has to be personalized to you. Mhm. Um, But another piece that can affect your metabolism is women losing testosterone.
0: Yes, I want to talk about this because you brought it up as an important topic. So let's chat about that.
1: Yeah. We make testosterone normally just as men make estrogen normally. Um, But we have certainly less testosterone unless you have polycystic ovary syndrome, which is another issue that is is very much helped by a very low-carb diet. Yes, Um, But... We have to have a better ratio of estrogen to testosterone and in men, it's the other way around. I'm sure you've seen obese men on the beach who have breasts. Well, their body fat is making estrogen out of proportion to the amount that they should have and that can suppress their testosterone. Now, women need a certain amount of testosterone. You need it for you need it for brain health, you need it for your bones, you need it for muscle strength and you need it for your libido. But yet somehow, once a woman starts hormone changes and goes through menopause and is postmenopausal, most doctors seem to forget. I mean, women still want a libido and a lack of sex drive or, or, or uncomfortable um, sex can be a result of low testosterone, yet doctors don't really look at that. And a lot of women are embarrassed to ask their doctor that, but please don't be. Mm-hmm. If, if you didn't need testosterone, why would you have made it through all these decades? Your body isn't going to have you make a hormone you don't need.
0: And it's not just going to stop when we turn 50.
1: No. (laughs) Plus, you have to maintain your bone and your lean mass, which is going to get worse unless you work on your bone health and lean mass once you go through menopause. Or you're going to be prone to osteoporosis Um, and and cachexia and sarcopenia, a loss of lean mass as you age. And you see many of these elderly women are so frail. Um, but you need testosterone to continue to help to maintain that. So, you know, don't overlook that um, when you're talking to your doctor if you're having these symptoms. Don't be afraid to bring that up or ask the question. What are my testosterone levels doing? I learned the degree of ignorance about this issue. About twelve years ago, when I went to a conference with a friend of mine, a colleague I worked with, and we were listening to two researchers talking about women women's health, and I asked about, well, do you measure testosterone postmenopausally? And these two guys looked at each other and say, well, why in the world would I want to give a woman testosterone? And I was just floored, and I frankly oh, no. didn't know what to say. And I was talking to my friend Abby later, and she said, Jackie, these are just researchers; they aren't in clinical practice. They don't know what you see in clinical practice. And and she said, you're right. If if you if A woman didn't need testosterone; she never would have made it. So, but they just don't get it. Some of them have blinders, and they only see what they see um, in their field, which aren't necessarily clinicians.
0: Right. It's so true, and it's that's a really important distinction because we get so much more information from actually seeing. Patients and clients, and what they go through on a day to day basis, which makes up for a lot of what we don 't see in research, um, so that 's really important
1: i I think that part of the art of medicine is learning from your patients
0: yes, agreed and and changing what you thought you knew if, it, if you see something different in all your patients.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, sooner or later, you've got to stop and say, am I missing something here? Yes,
0: exactly. And so I would assume that what you would say uh, to these women that now are concerned about their testosterone is, first of all, um, get your levels tested, talk to your doctor, that kind of thing, but also that a ketogenic diet and getting your stress under control and getting your uh, blood sugars under control will also help manage that.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's an important part of the The ripple effect, you know, all your hormones are interrelated. Don't forget that there's also leptin, there's ghrelin, there's adiponectin. These are hormones that regulate fat metabolism. They're hormones that regulate appetite or hunger. Your thyroid hormone is very important here. Um, And if you can think of the way your hormones work, they all communicate with each other. So if one group of hormones are really starting to go a bit haywire... Um, that may have a ripple effect to your others. Think of of how your hormones work as you throw a, a stone into a pond and it just ripples out everywhere. Um, that's why you, you want to maintain balance um, as much as you can as you're going through this. And that's why looking at all your different hormones are very important. We know that as women get hormone changes, not only cortisol, but leptin can be affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and many overweight and obese people have... Leptin resistance, yet they have very high leptin, which should be cutting their appetites, but it isn't. They're still hungry because they have, like insulin resistance, they can have leptin resistance. So, all these things need to be dealt with. And the only diet I've seen that really works well long term is cutting your carbs low enough to manage your hunger and cravings because you get enough protein for hunger, you get enough fat for natural fat for satiety. Um, and that's what you really need as you're trying to focus on losing or not gaining too much weight during this hormonal transition, I got to the point where all I could do was to make sure I was going to limit my my weight gain. And I did. I probably gained 10, 12 pounds. Um, I never went on the scale because I just figured, why do that? But my clothes were tighter. I did need to get a larger size. But I never let it go beyond that. Had I given up, and this is my biggest message to you is don't give up. You can't afford to. You can't afford to with your health because if you give up, then you're going to get frustrated. You're going to eat. You're going to gain. And then you're, either, you're even further back. You're more upset with yourself. And your body is going to get unhealthier. You, you just need to see this as a process that you need to stick to it.
0: Yes, it's what I talk about all the time. And like I said, why I call it the keto lifestyle instead of the keto diet. And I think this is another really important topic I want to talk about with you is there is still a little bit of a fear of this being a long term thing. And I don't really understand why. But I get asked that question a lot. And maybe you do too about can we do keto for the long term and for basically the rest of our
1: lives? Uh, and well, I've done it since 1974.
0: And I think you're doing pretty well from
1: what it and sounds my brain, like. I'm 68 years old. Yeah, My brain is still working. My kidneys are fine. My liver is fine. I do have some allergies. I'll admit to that. Um, <laughs> my bones are fine. I mean, all these stories that you hear. Um, actually, ketones are a very good source of fuel for the brain. And you know, or you may not know, that there are Many who are beginning to think, because of the abnormalities of glucose and insulin that happen with Alzheimer's, that it may be a form of type 3 diabetes. Mm -hmm. Well, what better thing should you be doing than really keeping your carbs down? And, And if ketones are a much more even, steady fuel for the brain with less oxidative stress when they're metabolized, that means less inflammation, and that's what you want. There's also research going on with ketogenic diets and some brain tumors. There's research going on with Parkinson's, ALS, and other, um, other issues. And, of course, we know Dr. Kozoff at Johns Hopkins using a modified Atkins for kids with intractable seizures. Um, and we know that – and, you know, if, if you've got a fear doing this, then you go to your doctor regularly. You have your proper lab tests done. Um, you watch your blood sugar, you watch your kidney function, you watch your liver function, all of those things. And, you know, that's how you you can find out if everything is working right.
0: Yeah, I think it's just important for multiple voices for all of us to continue to say that there is nothing, there is no science behind it being a negative thing to go into long term ketosis. And I think that's really important to clear up. Uh, One last topic that I really want to talk about because you brought this up before we started recording and I think this is another really important thing that women are concerned about is skin and how you have noticed or your friends have noticed a change in your skin or just how good your skin looks and you attribute a ketogenic diet to that.
1: Yeah uh, and and part of it is because it's to be ketogenic you have to be low enough in carbs and your carbs need to be the healthier carbs so that's part of the process, but ketones are anti-inflammatory and a lot of skin conditions are inflammatory. Um, We also had a lot of success at the Atkins Center with a lot of other inflammatory conditions and autoimmune conditions. Um, Psoriasis is an autoimmune condition, Mm -hmm. Um, Crohn's disease, irritable bowel, all of those things, and there's a lot of inflammation in those conditions. And your skin is, is very much affected by, in, by inflammatory conditions, by inflammation. So, um, But the other thing is, is the higher your poor quality carbohydrate intake is, the higher your blood sugar is going to go, the more glucose you're going to have hanging around. And there's two, there's a lot of negative effects, but two of them that we talk about is, when you're burning glucose, you're going to get more free radicals produced. Free radicals attach onto protein and damage the protein, and your cells are protein, including your skin cells. Um, When cells are inflamed, they lose their ability to fight off toxins, and your skin is very much... um, exposed to toxins so you don't want inflammation in the skin the other thing that's going to happen is if your blood sugar is too high particularly after eating and you may not know that you may if, if you don't check blood sugars after eating or you have an a1c done regularly then you have no idea where your postprandial blood sugars are if you're eating the typical western diet and what happens is that high sugar also attaches to protein and damages protein mm-hmm. um, and that's actually part of how the complications of diabetes happen you know a lot of they talk about diabetes you should do low-fat diet because you get heart disease well you get heart disease because the high glucose has damaged the protein that lines your arteries it's not because you're eating dietary fat right so it and the other thing that's important is you're going to get a lot more nutrients from your diet if you're eating a good quality whole food with minimally processing, which is what you get when you do a a ketogenic diet. It's going to replenish the nutrients you lose when you eat a high-carb diet. Not only do people um, have a lot of other reasons why low-carb is unhealthy, but to to metabolize a lot of the sugars in our diet, we have to use the little bit of stores of vitamins, particularly chromium and, and B complex, to metabolize. So you actually get Levels that are way too low. Right. It's so, all of that is going to have an impact on your skin. Yeah, it's your so skin's important. Your going to look younger and healthier. Less free radicals means less wrinkles.
0: Yay. That's what we want. I love it. Absolutely. This was such an incredible conversation, Jackie. Thank you so, so much for spreading your knowledge.
1: Well, you're welcome. I'm sorry there's so many other points we could have made, but I know. it's a complex topic. I know. Um, it is. But I hope I at least. Um, gave you some ideas the biggest thing for those of you out there who are struggling just keep doing everything you can do right and just hang in there yes. because what you're doing is you're as you're investing in your future health the health you're going to have when you're in your 60s 70s and 80s so that's what's important
0: yeah what an important thing to say and it's so true we got to think about it now instead of waiting yes end.
1: and follow your inches not to scale Ooh.
0: Love that one, too. That's so That's, great. Don't
1: believe it. Your scale is the least accurate reflection of fat loss.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And and where can everyone find you? Where How can we get a hold of you and, and learn more about what you do?
1: Well, uh, right now, my biggest project that I've been the busiest with is HealClinics.com. H-E-A-L-C-L-I-N-I-C-S.com. I'm director of protocol. I work with Dr. Eric Westman um, and Very a group cool. of other people. And we are targeting, wanting to help people to, um, we have a medical and a non-medical program where we can offer you assistance. Um, go to our website, um, and uh, read the articles. I've written a, a, quite a number of them, and you can look at what we have to offer. We do have support um, from Heal Clinics for people who um, want to learn how to do this right, who are struggling, who are looking for. More expertise Mm -hmm. in doing it. I mean, I've had well decades, and Dr. Westman now has been doing this for about eleven years, twelve years. Um, So come and visit us at Heal Clinics.
0: That sounds incredible! What a great opportunity and program for even distance people. It sounds like correct.
1: Yeah, in the non-medical program, um, we can we can work with you um, to deal with your diet and your weight, which of course is going to deal with the prevention of more serious conditions Um, and that can be done remotely
0: okay perfect yeah
1: you can can go look on the site there is a place where you can click on enrollment and it says to enroll you click on a button and that takes you to something called our initial health assessment that I get and then I can look at that very quickly and determine whether you're eligible for medical or non-medical
0: love it Perfect. Thank you so much, Jackie. This is so great. Such a nice conversation, and we'll make sure everyone heads over there and checks out what you're doing over at Heal Clinics.
1: Well, thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. I always enjoy getting to <coughs> talk about all this. Yeah, it's
0: <laughs> a great topic. Hey lady, do you want to make sure that you are doing the ketogenic diet the right way for you? Do you wanna make sure you're getting all of those amazing benefits that come with producing ketones and not putting any extra stress on your body? Then head to my website and check out the Fat-Burning Female Project. We have a new class starting soon and I'd love to have you be a part of it. Head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale and make sure to sign up to get a notification of when the next class will be.